writing an account to a gentleman named Theophilus. He's writing to somebody, and what he's saying to them throughout his gospel is, the heart of God is for nobodies. Because over and over again, what I'm learning story after story is that Jesus was ministering to people that nobody else was even looking at. He was ministering to the people who were ignored, the people who were marginalized, the people who were on the edge of society. And so we come to this story. And this is a story where you just have to see that Jesus is going out of his way. As a matter of fact, you cannot see it in the story that we just read. You have to actually have your Bible in your hand and read a story that that is not even there for you, but you'll read it tomorrow if you're following along with us, okay? So if you have your Bible, let me turn to a few verses before this, and I invite you to read with me from Luke chapter 8, verse 22. In Luke chapter 8, verse 22, which is a scripture that you'll be reading tomorrow if you follow along with us, the scripture says this, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. Now this is important because Jesus is on one side of the lake and he says to them, to his disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And, a, and we're not going to read this story today, but you'll read it tomorrow. A classic moment that, that has been talked about through the ages happens while they're on the lake. You've heard about Jesus in the storm, right? I mean, they, they encounter a storm going to the other side of the lake. And you'll read all about that. But then they finally arrive at the other side of the lake. Now, you need to understand that the other side of the lake was not a time, not a place, not a not a, a region that Jesus normally spent a lot of time in. So let me show it to you real quickly on a map, okay? Here's a map of the Holy Land. And um, just want to show you a couple of things about this map of the Holy Land. This is in north Israel. So if you went way south of this, you would get down Jerusalem and the Dead Sea and Jericho, Bethlehem, all that. But this, Jesus did 80% of his ministry right around this lake, all right? Sometimes you hear it called the sea. It's just a huge, huge lake. And, and, I, and by the way, it's gorgeous. The first night I was there, I opened up the windows of my hotel. We had arrived in the dark. I opened up my windows at sunrise, and it, was in, it felt like I was, I'm a beach guy. It felt like, wow. And I thought to myself, I, two things, I could live here. All right, and the second thing I thought is, no wonder this is where Jesus did his ministry. I mean, this is 80% of his ministry. Now, let me point out a couple of things about this map. You'll see the sea. Here's the sea. Notice this map. One of the reasons I chose this map is because the sea used to be much larger. See this? This is a picture of what the sea used to look like, but it's shrunk now a little bit. Here it is. And I just want to point out at the very top, there's a little town up here called Capernaum, or we say Capernaum. Uh, over there, they say Capernaum. This is, where, this is Jesus' home base for his ministry right here. And uh, there's a beautiful church here that's, that's got a mosaic in the floor of the fish and the loaves. This is where we believe Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves and fed 5,000. Jesus did most of his ministry right here in this whole area on the Sea of Galilee. Now, right above the Sea of Galilee is the, is the, is the Jordan River. It flows into the sea. And right at the very bottom of the river, it flows out of the sea and goes all the way down to the Dead Sea. Okay, so there is an imaginary line of the Jordan River that flows right through the middle of the Sea of Galilee from the start until its end. And over here were all the Jews. And this is Jesus' ministry on the west. And if you crossed over this imaginary line, if you took a boat trip from here to here, if you crossed over at any point across that imaginary line, 
you are going to the other side of the lake. You understand what that means? So you don't go to the other side of the lake when you move this way. You go that to that way when you cross across this imaginary line because what you need to know is that on this side of the Jordan River and all over the west was a place called the Decapolis, D-E-C-A-P-O-L-I-S. It meant ten cities. There were ten Gentile, major Gentile cities over here, and the Jews didn't go over there, you see. Because over there were unclean people. Over there were nobodies. They were Gentiles. Over there were people, even in our story today, they were unclean people. They weren't Jewish. They, were un- they, they did unclean work. You see that? They even worked with unclean animals. The swine, you hear that in the story? Over there were the people that we don't associate with. Over there are the people that we don't go to. And Jesus says to his disciples from his home base right here, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, I just got to pause for a minute, because if you were one of Jesus' disciples, can I just tell you what would have been on your mind? Why? (laughs) Why are we going to go over there? I mean, you'd think to yourself, that's not our zone. That's not our place. That's not us. And you'd be thinking to yourself, why does Jesus want to go over there? Now, you know already, because you've heard the story, you know what he's going to experience over there. And you know also from this very simple story, oh, it's not simple, I guess, from this very elegant story, that his trip will be short. He won't be over there very long, and they'll send him away, right? But you have to get the heart of God. And you'll only get that if you ask the right question of who Jesus is. What's the heart of Jesus? Jesus cares about the nobodies. Jesus is after, they matter to him. The nobodies matter to Jesus. And so he is after them. He is going after them, even in the Acropolis. So uh, before I go any further in our scripture, I just want to show you a short video. Um, now, now here, let me, before we leave the map, right here, see this word Gergesa? There's a little city right here that in the fourth century, they were building a highway through here, trying to build a major highway, and they discovered the remains right here of a monastery. That monastery on that exact middle of the lake, on the west-hand side of the lake, marks a a city that they found a 4th century monastery, and that monastery, according to inscriptions, marked the place of the story that we read today, where Jesus delivered a demonic man. I want to show it to you on video, okay? Most tourists don't go here. They just don't. This is an out-of-the-way, unmarked spot, but I pulled up a Google video. I just want to show you to you. This is a picture of, of the hillside. This is a picture of the monastery. And envision the lake where all those trees are going all the way up. See, the lake used to go all the way up to this mountainside. And on, in that mountainside, in those little excavations that you see built in the hill, was a monastery. And all that land there would be the lake. And the pigs would have been grazing on top of one of these mountains. The monastery is built right into the middle of that mountain right there. And this would have been the place where Jesus parked the boat. And there would have been a place of tombs here, and there would have been an unclean man here living in the tombs who would everybody outcast him. And it was in this place that even in the fourth century, they marked this is where Jesus did the ministry of delivering the Gerizim demoniac in the the Decapolis. Now, if you have a picture of that, let's go back and read the story. The Bible says they sailed to the region of the Gerizims, which is across the lake, from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. You might want to underline those words, demon-possessed 
I'm going to get you to underline a few things here. Underline the words, demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried and fell at his feet. You might want to underline that phrase. It's very important to remember what happens when he encounters Jesus, because he's a demon-possessed man. He, he cries and he falls at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus? Underline these next six words, son of the most high God. I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now I just want to real quickly, uh, I just want to pause here for a minute. And I just want to invite you in the margin of your note to think of, notice a couple of things. Three things, if it's okay. The first one is this. What does he look like? Can you picture this guy? I think it helps you to picture what he would have looked like as you arrived by boat that day. So let me ask you a few questions. Get the mental picture in your brain for a minute. Do you think he had a beard? What do you think that beard might have looked like? What did his hair look like? Think about that for a minute. Was he dirty or clean? What did his, oh, wait a minute, this is going to be hard for you to envision, but he doesn't have clothes. He's naked. Can you envision a naked man with a beard and crazy hair? By the way, he's wearing shackles. Can you put that in your mind? And they're broken, but they're still on his wrists and they're still on his feet. Can you envision this man yet? Can you look at the cuts on his body where he's cut himself because of the torment? What does his face look like? What do you see in his eyes? See, what I want you to understand about this guy is this guy is an outcast to the nobodies. He lives in the land of the nobodies, and they won't even let him live with them. He has to live in the tombs. If ever there is a nobody, this guy has been, even from the nobodies, been put as an outcast. So you've got to start there. Jesus is crossing the lake into a territory that normally Jews don't go into, into an unclean place, and who comes up? It's this guy, an outcast of even the nobodies. So the second thing we ought to notice about this is that the Bible says he's demon-possessed. <laughs> now, in our culture and in our society, you just help me know if I'm kind of like you. I don't hear a lot about demon possession, okay? I don't, it's not something I think about during the week normally. I don't encounter it a lot. As a matter of fact, most of us probably when we think of demon possession, we normally think of a movie, okay? We think of something we've seen called The Exorcist or something else out there, right? We don't normally think about something we've experienced personally. But I need to talk about this for a minute because I want you to understand this on at least three levels because I'm going to come back to demon possession because this guy was demon possessed. But here's what I want to tell you as your pastor, and you might never hear this anywhere else, so understand this. If you are a blood-bought believer in Christ... If Jesus has come into your life, listen, here's what we believe. We believe that 
There is something called oppression. You can have dark forces come against you, but you cannot be demon-possessed. Satan does not have the power to come over your life and take over your life if you've given lordship to Jesus, okay? Now, this guy, he's not a, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. This guy is demon-possessed. There are demons. We're going to talk about that a lot more in a minute. There are demons all in him. But for a person who would call themselves a Christ follower, you may, and I imagine there's many people in this room who would say, but you know what? I may have never been demon-possessed, but I have experienced oppression before. I've experienced dark forces. I've experienced something like it come against me or my family or my marriage or my business or my relationship with my child. I've experienced in my own personal life, you may have experienced oppression, dark forces coming against you. Now, in their culture, what I want you to understand is they understood possession two different ways, demons in two different ways. Number one, there, sometimes they misunderstood sicknesses for demon possession, and that's just understood. I mean, they, we talked about leprosy last week, right? They, they didn't understand leprosy was bacterial. They didn't understand leprosy was Hansen's disease, and, and so oftentimes in the scriptures, if someone had epilepsy, for example, and they began to have shakes, they were, they were, they were assumed to be demon-possessed. And so many people in that culture would, would con- confuse sicknesses with, with a demon, okay? And that was just their culture. They didn't know what we know today. But what I want you to understand was this is not that kind of story. <laughs> okay, this guy's not sick. He doesn't have a disease. This guy is demon-possessed, all right? Am I making any sense? So let's understand in a minute, we're going we're gonna to flesh that out because this guy doesn't have one demon. He's got a lot of demons in him, right? Now, the, the last thing I want to notice is that I think it's cool. And every week we talk about nobodies, I always want to talk about the somebody that's living in the nobody. And, and this is crazy because this guy's filled with demons, but the, and this guy's a nobody. But when Jesus steps aboard, what does he do? The Bible says he falls on his knees and he cries out, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now, this is interesting because most people will not even recognize that Jesus is God, right? But the demons tremble. And out of this nobody's mouth comes their voice and says, you are the Son of the Most High God. And I guess what I want you to note here is that Luke's trying to show you something. Don't ever forget Luke is sharing this story with Theophilus. He's sharing who Jesus is and that Jesus is the son of the most high God. He's about to paint a picture of a real story that really happened where light confronted darkness. And he wants, he wants Theophilus to understand Jesus is not just some great teacher. He's not just some wonderful man. Jesus is the son of the most high God and the demons recognize it. Is that cool or what? Wow, this is cool. All right. So this is what's going on. And let's go a little bit further. And so Jesus asked him, what is your name? If you have your pen, circle the name, okay? Legion. Did Jesus, by the way, it was, an, it was a common practice if you were assumed to have a demon possession for them to ask your name because that gives you power over the demon. And priests did this oftentimes, okay? They would ask the name. So Jesus does this as a high priest. He asks the name of the demon. What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them in to go into the abyss. Now, what that means into the abyss is literally the lake below, okay? They have, they, everything that was water, whether it was the sea or a lake, was associated with death and darkness. Don't, don't order us into the lake. Don't order us into the darkness. Don't order us into the abyss where we cannot exist. Don't order us there. And so I just want you to notice here real quickly the word legion. Luke is writing his gospel in about 80 A.D., okay? That's what most scholars think. It's about 80 A.D. 
about 50 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he's writing his gospel. He's doing these interviews. Jerusalem, Israel, was sacked in 70 AD and destroyed by Rome. In 70 AD, Jerusalem was burned. And what I want you to know is when Luke uses this term, he's being told that the, the demons named themselves legion. But for people who are reading in that day, legion meant something totally different. It sparked their ears. It was a familiar word. It was a familiar name. Because an army, a troop from Rome, they were called legions. As a matter of fact, you might want to write this in the margin of your note, uh, there were four legions who attacked Jerusalem alone. There were four Roman legions who attacked Jerusalem, and there were 5,600 soldiers in every one of those legions. 5,600 soldiers per legion attacked Jerusalem. And by the way, the legions of Rome, the soldiers of Rome, these guys, we would compare them today to SEALs. We would compare them to Marines. These are top-fighting elite forces. These are the best of the best of Rome. There are 5,600 in every one of the, the legions, and four of them sacked Jerusalem, and more than a million Jews die in the battle. And Rome burns Jerusalem to the ground, temple destroyed. And 10 years later, Luke writes this story. What is your name? They said, Legion. Every Jew that would have read this account would have remembered what a legion looked like. How, what, here's, here's, what, here's what I want you to understand. Luke is giving us a picture of the death Damage and destruction inside this man. It is horrendous. One artist tried to paint a picture of what a Roman legion looks like, and this is not a perfect picture. But if you could just see soldiers and soldiers and soldiers off into the distance, this is a picture of the demons that are inside of this man. It's not one, it's not two. It's thousands. Thousands of demons are in this man. You get that picture? You see the damage, you see the destruction, you see the torment. And now Jesus is stepping off the boat and, and the demons cry out of this guy. Don't, don't. Why are you here for us? What are you going to do with us? Light is confronting darkness. Now I need to go, I need to say one more thing before we read the rest of the scripture. <laughs> Luke wants you to notice something. Luke wants you to see something. He wants you to see that the God of the universe steps off the boat in man form. He wants you to see that the sinless Son of God stands there. And inside this man, naked, dirty, shackled, crying out, he falls at the feet of Jesus. Luke wants you to see this, that he falls at the feet of Jesus and he cries out. Let me tell you, you can watch the movie Exorcist. You tell me if you agree with me or not. I, I can watch a dark movie like that, and it's almost like when darkness and light are fighting with one another, when evil and, and goodness are fighting, when there are demonic forces and there are, there are God forces, it's almost like they're co-equals. It's like, who's going to win the battle? And they go back and forth, and, and, and what Luke wants you to understand is that is so far from the truth. Luke wants you to understand there's no comparison. There are thousands, there's legions of demons in this man and when Jesus steps off the boat, boom, he falls. Oh, let me give you a picture of this. Light, the light of God and the power of God against the darkness of evil in its most wicked form is no match. 
Do not believe Hollywood for a minute. Light, there is no power that darkness has over it. Do you understand this? Do you see what Luke is painting a picture of? He's not making the story up. He's telling you the story of what he heard, and he's giving us a picture of it. Darkness has to bow. And the light in Jesus, the goodness in Jesus, the rightness in Jesus, the God power of Jesus is infinitely more power than the legions. You get that picture? It's infinitely more. And see, this is important because in a minute we're going to talk about the dark forces that you've experienced, and sometimes they can seem so powerful, right? I mean, you just feel like, oh, well, oh man. And, and, and let me tell you, if you could get a picture of this, you'd understand calling on the name of Jesus, standing in his power will make them submit and bow in a moment's notice. They don't have power. And we need to understand what Luke's trying to show us here. Their light and darkness are not co-equals. It's not even close. It's not even close. Darkness, has no, it has to fall at the feet of Jesus. That's what Luke is showing us. Now, let's read a little bit more, okay? So, now listen to the negotiations that go on here. Don't miss it. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus. See the power? <laughs> begged Jesus. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. <laughs> I like that word. You can read that so easily. And just skip over that word, Permission. See, that's authority. You see that? Jesus said, watch this. Jesus said, go. Boom. Right? You see the power of light over darkness? Luke is showing you something. Jesus gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. By the way, their cash crop of pigs had dove into the lake and died. And they had lost major moolah, okay? That's what had happened. And then it says, when they came to Jesus, by the way, I need to point this out because I'm not going to come back to this. When they came to Jesus, here's this beautiful picture. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and it scared them. <laughs> and it scared them. Well, I'll let you read the rest of that. But can I just, just ask you for a minute? When you, when you see that story, would you just think for a minute, what was this guy saved from? Let me ask you a few questions. Could he have saved himself? What was he saved from? What bondage and fear, what hatred, what anger, what torment, what could thousands of demons do to you can you imagine what he was saved from and now picture him <laughs> when you did a beautiful job today picture him restored go beyond the story and he doesn't even get to go with jesus he's a granddad he's got children he's got a wife he's got a family <laughs> what was he saved from and what was he saved to Jesus saves him. Jesus saves him. Now, I've got to point this out. Don't, again, don't miss the negotiation. The demons say, oh, Jesus, 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 don't throw us into the abyss. Oh, please, 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 just throw us into those pigs. Now, can I just talk for a minute about that is not normally our experience with dark forces? Because you and I are not Jesus. 
when normally dark forces come against you, they don't, they're not negotiating with you like that. They're not asking you, oh, can you do this or that? No, that's not how they... Let me tell you, if you've experienced dark forces like I've experienced, that's not what they sound like at all. Their negotiations don't sound like that. They come at you saying very bad things. They come to the person who's struggling with alcoholism and they say, you know what, you'll never beat this thing. And everybody else might be able to, but not you. You have to have this. You want this. And it's not a negotiation like that negotiation going with Jesus. It's a totally different kind of voice. You hear that? And, and you know, by the way, every time those dark forces come to you, there's a few things you can always count on for sure. They want to, they want to suck the life of you. They've done that. They, they just want to suck the life out of you. That's the first thing. The second thing is they're going to promise you good things, but it's always a lie. They're going to promise you that everything will be good if you just go this way. It's always a lie. The third thing is they'd be happy if you died. Those dark forces would be happy if you didn't live anymore. And fourthly, they would be really happy if you brought pain to other people. That's the way they operate every time. And so what do dark forces look like? For one person who struggles with depression, let me tell you, the dark forces don't come in negotiating. The dark forces sit in their world, whisper in their ear, and say, you don't matter to anybody. You might as well just end it all. Nobody cares for you. As a matter of fact, you know what you do? You just cause everybody else pain. Why don't you just not be here anymore? You hear what those dark voices do? Some of you have heard this personally. See, dark forces, they can come against us in so many different ways. I mean, they can come to a, a guy or a girl on a business trip and say, you know what? Nobody is ever going to know what happens during this trip. So why don't you just do something for you? Not very good negotiation, is it? It's one to suck the life out of you. He'd be happy if you died. It's promising you something good. It really is hoping that you might bring pain to others. See, dark forces, if you've experienced them like I have, those dark forces, they are oppressive. And they can seem so strong. I had a crazy idea this morning. I didn't plan on it. And I thought I'd let you preach for a minute. Is that okay? I'm going to say that again. I had a crazy idea. I was driving to church this morning, and I had this idea. I said, why don't I let them preach this morning? There's supposed to be a microphone right here, and there's not. that work? Good. Hope it does. So here's the deal. I was talking to somebody this week, and they made a statement. They weren't even part of this church. We were talking. They made a statement, and it really got me to thinking. Here's the statement they made. You know, I go to church all the time. And I've been a Christian for a really, really long time. Saved in as an adult, but been a Christian for about 20 years. And they said this. I listen to so many sermons, and I'm in church so much. In 20 years, I've started to forget what I got saved from. Because nobody ever reminds me what I got saved from. That hit me like a ton of bricks. See, because I've been a Christian a lot longer than 30 years. I mean, 20 years, even 30 years. I've been a Christian for a good long time, and I thought to myself, you know what? It's a good thing for us to remember. What did you get saved from? Man, 
if you've been saved, not everybody in this crowd has been saved, by the way, and we're glad you're here if you are just kicking the tires of this whole Christianity thing and you're kind of checking out Jesus. But there are a lot of people in this room who call themselves Christ followers, who this is their faith family. And I'm driving to church this morning. I'm just thinking to myself, what if you just took a microphone and what if you just asked the people in the room, what'd you get saved from? What'd you get saved from? What'd you get saved from? Maybe like that guy in the story. Now, he got saved from a lot, but I bet some of us got saved from a lot. You know what I'm talking about? Would it be okay if for a minute I invited anybody who wanted to say, stand up what they got saved from? When the light came into their life and they gave their life to Jesus and how they got saved from the bondage. Something like that guy there. It doesn't have to be like that, but I mean, that guy moved from bondage to life. He moved from oppression and complete harassment of thousands of demons to a place of having his mind and his a purpose and a place and a future again. If you want to share, I give you a chance to preach. All you got to do is stand up. And you can say what you got saved from. Or maybe what you want to say is what you got saved to. I don't know. I said it's a crazy idea. Anybody want to share? Just stay there. I'm coming to you. This is Mandy. Good morning. My name's Mandy. In high school, I didn't feel like I fit in. wasn't terribly popular. Some people knew me. But I got involved with a group of partiers. And um, the drinking helped me to feel relaxed and fun. And the, the people I hung around seemed to really like me and accept me. Um, as I got a little older, I got into drugs. And through my 20s, more and more into partying. I got involved in relationships that were abusive and controlling. Um, I was physically and emotionally abused, but it was exciting. It was some something that made me feel alive and um, made me feel accepted. I went through that and uh, craved relationships and always felt empty, even though always had plenty of people to party with, plenty of places to go. And um, when I was about 26, I finally hit rock bottom, and I decided I can't live like this anymore. I don't believe you, God. This is the God of my grandparents, my mom. What do they know? I'm way smarter than them. But I was desperate. I cried out, God, if you're here, I need you to show me because I'm not going one more step without you. I can't make it in this miserable life without you. And God began to pour out into my heart, I'm here. I'm here. I still remember that day that I spent arguing with God. And I said, God, I have a, a little black book full of names of people I can party with. I can go drinking, doing drugs with dozens of people, but I don't have one person to just hang out with, to have dinner with, to go to a movie with. A few minutes after I told God that and prayed, the phone rang. And the girl said, you don't know me, but I'm a friend of your sister-in-law, and she thinks we have a lot in common. So I went up to dinner with Sonia, and I asked her every question I had about God. How can I believe in a God who allows 
children to suffer. How can I believe in a God that allows so much pain? And the poor girl tried to answer my questions. <laughs> the next day, she brought her friend who was going to seminary, and she, she told me later, <laughs> she told him, this girl never going to get saved. <laughs> but she invited me to her church, New Hope Baptist in Fayetteville. And I said, walking into the building, the, the ceiling's probably going to collapse when we walk in. <laughs> but that day, mm -hmm. I heard a message straight from God to my heart. Mm -hmm. And I ran forward and repented. Not because God wanted to possess me, but God loved me. And I felt like I was home. Amen. That was more than... 30 years ago, a long time, <laughs> 30 years ago. And since then, it's not been easy. It's not been an easy journey. Mm -hmm. But I never look back, and I'm never going back to that darkness. No matter what the world tells me, how stupid they tell me I am. Now I'm the dumb grandparent, and I'm the dumb parent that doesn't know anything. But there's no way anyone is going to convince me that my God is not real. Amen. He was there for me. Amen. Thank you, Mimi. You don't have to share that long or that good um, or that eloquent to say what you've been saved from. But thank you for starting that for us, Mimi. Share what you've been saved from. Stand up. Just short and sweet. I was saved from loneliness and... Um, not very many finances and a failed marriage. And now I have a beautiful family, <laughs> friends, <laughs> great marriage. Hallelujah. Thirty-five students. Hallelujah. Got to stand up. There you go. Hey, uh, I'm Joe. Um, I'll keep it short too. I'll say for myself, just all the internal demons on in myself and, and the poor thoughts of myself. Amen. So. Amen. Thank you, Joe. That was Joe. That was Jody. This is Jerry. A lot of J's. Um, first off, I'm, I'm a crybaby. So <laughs> but I was saved from a daily, hourly, intravenous addiction to cocaine and um my mama was was a prayer warrior and was in her prayer closet every single night uh praying and just real short one wednesday night she begged me to take her to the to church and her car broke down and but that was set back on the cross that that day was set back then and um Amen. i took her on that wednesday night and uh she begged me to go in i went in and Holy Spirit just come. All I was going to do was get back out that evening and get right back at it. But from that day forward, uh, it wasn't easy. But 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 through many friends and loved and pastor ones, I've been clean for oh man, 34, 35 years. Um, <laughs> Glory to God. The power of Christ, right? Amen. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'll probably cry too. Um, I was saved from um, not knowing. 
I didn't grow up in a church, but I feel like I always believed in God. But that's where it stopped. And that's where the demons kept saying to me, that's enough. That's enough, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. But when I finally listened to God's word and felt it in my heart, yeah, I argued. <laughs> I took a couple days and argued with God about how I can't do this and how this is ridiculous. When I finally, finally heard from God, I went running. <laughs> I went running because <laughs> it's not enough just to stand there and say, yeah, God is. And Jesus is. It's not enough. Because the demons will try to k keep you right there. Right there. In your, in your brain saying that's enough. It's not enough. It's got to be here. Thank you, Sam. That was Sandy. This is Dominic. Hey, I'm Dominic. Graham, and I'm deaf, and I just wanted to share some of my past experiences from my viewpoint. I had an awful lot of pressure in my life, a lot of struggles in my life, a lot of experiences with sadness and loneliness, and I didn't feel very worthy, and I didn't, because I don't really fit in the hearing world, and, and people don't know me, and I don't know them, and and, it, you know, people don't know how to communicate with me. Mm. And I just felt, um, I feel when I want to come here, it's kind of a struggle for me to, you know, to, to think in my mind. And I know that the devil talks to me, and he's always trying to tell me I'm not worth anything and that I'm not good enough. But I just try to put all that aside and not listen to that and focus on the positive and, and, and my family, my mama's taught me and, and she's, she's taught me to, to just resist the devil and, and just that God will take care of me and that he will help me and to focus on the positive and just stay straight and do the things that I should do and learn more and that I'm saved from and that mm. Jesus has saved me and he, he has told me that I'm his and He's accepted me, and that in the past and all of that, it doesn't matter now. And I can need to do good for God, and and He can teach me how to accept Jesus. And from now on, you know, I'm st I still have problems. I still have struggles with a lot of the, the demons and the things in my life. But God will take care of me, and. It, that God will take care of me and bless me. Amen. Amen. Interpret for me. I want to share something real quickly because uh, this young man is a man we need to be praying for. He's in a school with deaf people all the time and he's trying to shine his light for Christ. And you know, at the end of this biblical story today, we're told that this Jesus will not let this guy get in the boat. But he sends him back to his hometown. Now, later on, Paul would, Paul would call himself the first missionary to the Gentiles. But can I just tell you, Paul was wrong about that. I mean, the first missionary to the Gentiles is this guy. All right? This guy goes back to his hometown, and Jesus has released him. And in the name of Jesus, Dominic, you are a missionary to the deaf world. And people in the deaf world need Jesus. And I pray for you. We pray for you, Dominic. Amen. 
Well, just maybe a couple more. You better say quick, or, or I'm not going to give you any more minutes. Whoa, look at, oh, popcorn. Popcorn. Jason, stand right here for me. All right, you know, wow. Okay, then y'all all got to go quick now. Wow. This wasn't a crazy idea, was it? Wow. No, it's not a crazy idea. Um, like Joe, I think the best way to sum it up is just saved from being a natural <laughs> man but knowing that there was a better life. And I know that I know that I know that <laughs> Jesus Christ saved me because I asked him to. Amen. And the other best wonderful thing is the healing, uh, true forgiveness, not only to myself, but because I have been forgiven how many times have I looked at myself and seen the grace that I've been given and how could I withhold that from any other human being? Family, relationships, mm -hmm. all the hurts. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amen. All right, um, I'm Angel, and one thing that he saved me from is depression. I was, I mean, I went through self-harm and everything, and I, I, you know, I got a new family, and I went to Harvest Point, and a lot of messages got to me, so he helped me through depression. Hallelujah. Hey, I'm Nikki. So um, some of you may be like me and feel like you have to know everything, plan everything, control everything. Um, because no one else is going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And so I was saved from basically having the exhaustion of handling my entire life mm -hmm. by myself and everything that's going to come at me on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Learn how to turn it over and let him handle it. And um, it's freeing and restful. Um, Thank God, I don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'm Susan Rents. I was saved from self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and thinking that everything in the world revolved around me. Mm-hmm. I accepted Christ at 13, but that was largely because I didn't want to go to hell. I was saved in my mind from something, but praise God, he saved me for something. Mm -hmm. And when I was about 40, I was fired from a job. Do you realize what being fired from a job means to somebody that their whole identity revolves around their work and one day I was sitting in my living room and God tapped me on the shoulder because I was listening and I had my Bible in front of me and I was reading and he said Susan don't you want to know me instead of just know about me and from that day on God has taught me all kinds of lessons in humility, and I am so grateful because now 
I can sit with my Bible and with my God every single solitary day. And he'll tap me on the shoulder and he'll say, I have a God assignment for you. Amen. Go do it. <laughs> Amen. I love our church. I'll tell you what I'll do. Um, because I want to be mindful of time, and many of you say, we don't care. And there's others of you who say, we very much do. So I'm going to be mindful of time. Um, you know what I want to do? This has been so good and so powerful. Why don't we do this again sometime in this nobody series? Because, you know, that's what God's done for us, salvation, right? I want to drive home three things real quick. And then I'm going to close this message. The first thing I want to drive home is, is this. Um, this thing about nobodies. Number one, this thing about nobodies. Are you getting this yet? I mean, if you're reading Luke, you have got to be getting this. You have be, you've got to get, this is the big point. That somebody came. And, and he was God in the flesh, but he chose to be a nobody, born of a little girl in a dirt town, nobody, and asking night shift shepherds to come be the first ones to the manger, and they were nobody. And story after story after story that Luke unfolds, he's just going to nobodies, nobodies, nobodies. He's seeking after nobodies. And, and think what Luke is trying to say to the someone called Theophilus, this big somebody. I think he's saying, you know what? Our picture of God may be radically wrong. The heart of God is actually for nobodies. And if you really want to be a somebody to God, you've got to be a person who goes after nobodies. You've got to be a person who sees people that are just ignored, who are marginalized, who are second, third class citizens all around you that nobody cares for. And you've got you to reach out to them and show them that there's a somebody who came for them, that knows them, that loves them, and that has a meaning and purpose for their life and wants to bring them into an understanding that they are someone. Even though they may feel like a nobody, they're a somebody. Are you getting this? We're going to spend another four weeks or so with this, or five or something, but you got to get it. Because, because everywhere you go, everywhere around you, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in, in your school, everywhere you go, there's nobodies all around you. And you need to have the eyes of Jesus. That's the first thing I want to drive home. The second thing I want to drive home is listen. Listen. And I need to get real applicable. Every message begin, it should end with us. In your mind, if any, you, any, you ever get a message, you should always ask yourself at the end of any sermon, so what? Okay? So what? And so here's a couple of things I want to show. The first one is this. You know what? You want to be a somebody? You want to be a someone? You go after nobody because that's who Jesus goes after. That's the first so what. But here's the second so what. We heard a story today about a man who didn't have one demon or two demons. He wasn't oppressed by dark forces. He was filled with legion. There was damage, destruction all in his world. And light stepped out of a boat and he crumbled before it. And I would say, listen, in the name of Jesus, listen to what I'm about to say. If you are struggling with darkness in your world, if you're having the enemy with his bony finger pointing in your chest, telling you this or that, threatening you about this, that, or the other. If you feel oppressed or possessed by dark forces, I want to point you to the truth. You've already heard it in this very room today. That Jesus is infinitely stronger than anything that's been threatening your life. 
And you want to you get it all done with Jesus? Here's what you need to do. You can do it this morning in a church. You can go sit in your truck before you leave the campus. And, or you could you know, get, get on your knees right by your bed tonight, and you could say, Hey, Jesus, I'm tired of the oppression, the possession, the dark junk coming after me, my family, my relationship with my son, all that stuff, the, the disease, the prognosis, whatever it is. I'm tired of that. Today, did you hear what Mandy said? Did you hear what Jerry said? Did you hear all the things that people got said? Today, I'm asking you to be Savior. I'm surrendering my life to you. Come inside of me. Come inside of me. And let me tell you what's going to happen. He will rush in. He won't have a conversation with you about it. When you open up the door of your heart, he rushes in and he says, I love you. I love you. And he will come and set up residence in you. And you will have life. And you will have purpose. And did you hear Dominic? He said, doesn't make it easy. It's still, it's still hard. And listen, if you're laying in bed at night and you wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and those voices start again and they start threatening you, saying, why don't you just take your own life? Or your marriage will never work. Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to get out of your bed and you need to maybe fall back on your knees and you need to shout at the darkness and say, I'm blood-bought by the blood of Jesus. You have no power over me. And you need to take authority over the darkness. And when you do that, I've never had somebody come back to me and said, oh, the darkness spoke back to me. The darkness every time will tremble. Every time it will tremble. And every time the darkness comes against you, you just look at it and shout back at it again. You, Dominic, shout at it. You shout at the darkness and you tell them, Jesus lives in me. You have no power here. Luke is trying to show us this. And then one last thing. I said three, didn't I? One last thing. Can you guys put the last scripture up there? Everybody reads the last scripture. They don't even know it. They don't even, read, they don't even see this. The last scripture, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Those are the words of Jesus. Go tell how much God's done for you. And look what it says. So the man went away and he told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Every person who just stood in this crowd were telling what Jesus had done for them. And listen, when it comes to this whole thing of salvation, it will never happen in your life. It's just some vague God. Let me tell you, God's not Allah. God's not Muhammad. God's not Buddha. God's not Confucius. God has a name. And his name is Jesus. And I love, people read that scripture all the time and they don't even see it. They don't see it. Jesus says, go tell them. Luke is trying to show you something. Luke is saying, you know who's powerful? You know who's Savior? You know who the one is that heals and delivers and frees us? You know who that is? Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, you're doing a special thing in our lives. And I just pray you'd help us get this stuff. Help us to look for nobodies all around us. And Lord, there are people here this morning, they, are, they have been struggling with darkness and they need freedom. They need freedom. They need that bondage to be broken. So I pray in the name of Jesus at this service or, or sitting in their car today or by their bedside tonight that they cry out to you and they'd say, Jesus, save me. Save me. 
come inside me. I don't want to live one more miserable day. I don't want to live under the darkness and the oppression anymore. That they would, they would bow down before you and that you would wrap your love around them and that you would love them and fill them and you would wash them clean and that you would free them to a wonderful, beautiful life. I pray that, Lord. I pray that over the one that's in the most need of that today. And I pray that for every person here. You're not just a savior to me. You just didn't save me a long time ago. You are saving me every day. You are my savior. You are saving me every day. Every moment of every day, you are saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, keep teaching us. Keep pushing us. Thank you for Luke. Help him keep pushing us because you've called us to go share the light with nobodies. That's your mission, Jesus. And you looked at us and said, now you go make disciples. Oh, God, help us to do it. Thank you for this church. Thank you that we get to do great things together in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we're trying to push back the darkness here in Henry County. Give us more souls. Give us more souls and more lives and give us more people that would be changed because of the good news. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to help us do your work. As we give to your glory this morning, we pray that you would give beyond, take our gifts beyond our reach and multiply them for your kingdom gain. Oh, you're good to us. We give to your glory. We give for your kingdom advancement, God. And we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer, Lord. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Where sin runs deep, 
Your grace is more Where grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness It's Christ in me Where you are Lord, I am free Holiness In Christ in me Everybody sing, yeah. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. 